So we built a H3-based tiling system uh, called Hexile. And briefly, Hexile is a analytic-focused geospatial tiling system that builds on top of H3. It is, uh, H3 is a distributed global grid system and it's designed for, you know, ground up handling planetary data set that's supporting geospatial unification, enrichment, and large-scale temporal analysis. If you listen to all the keywords I was saying, a lot of the keywords when it comes to Hexile is really about running analysis on a unified global grid system. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today on the show, I'm talking with Shan He. Shan is a senior director at Foursquare. And the topic of today's conversation is hex tiles, but we're going to start right at the start. We're going to start talking about tiles in general and sort of work our way towards what hex tiles are, what we can use them for, and what the future of them might look like. A couple things to know about this episode. Firstly, it follows on really nicely from an episode I published a while ago with, with Isaac Brodsky. Isaac is one of the creators behind the H3 tile system. Well, you hear the term H3 used a few times during this episode. And if that's piqued your curiosity, that episode with, with, with Isaac is, is well worth checking out. It's a relatively soft introduction to the H3 grid system. So another thing you need to know about this episode is that Foursquare, the company that Shan works for, helped cover the costs of producing this episode. I am soon to be unemployed. And what that means for this podcast is that I, I no longer have the luxury of just paying for everything myself. I need to find a way of covering the costs. And so one of the things I'm going to be doing going forward is asking companies who can afford it to help cover the costs, to help make this podcast more sustainable. Perhaps I should talk more about this strategy later on, but for now it's important to understand that Foursquare didn't have to contribute. I asked them to and they agreed to help out and I'm really grateful for that. Hi Shan, welcome to the podcast. You are the Senior Director of Engineering at a company called Foursquare. And today on the podcast, I want to talk about tiles, <laughs> but a very special kind of tile. I've, you're building something called Hex Tiles, and that's going to be the focus of the conversation today. But before we get there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and, and how did you get involved in, in Geospatial? Yes. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Shan. I am at Foursquare leading the Geospatial platform called Unfolded. Before joining Foursquare, long story short, I was an architect. So I was working with tiles, but the tiles in your kitchen. When I <laughs> switched from being architect to actually a software engineering, part of the reason when I switched was because I always into, you know, design, design of any kind, whether it's about buildings or floor plan or, you know, visual design. But I'm also very into engineering, like building stuff, building uh, softwares and building applications. So I thought uh, being an architect doesn't really give me that many of freedom to do what I like to do. So I switched my career from an architect to a, you can call it a design computationist. So I took some course at MIT in data visualization and find data visualization being like the true passion of me because you kind of combine analytical part of it, it combines the design as well, and it combines my understanding of spatial design. So that's how I got into kind of this geospatial analytics and visualization domain. And my first job was at Uber. I was building Uber's data visualization product 
while I was Uber, I open sourced a software called Kepler GL. It is a browser-based geospatial visualization application. It's pretty cool. It makes really pretty maps. So <laughs> after a little bit of open sourcing, a couple of people that I work with at Uber thinks that there are great potential of the software that we open source, including Kepler GL, DevGL, and H3, which we will talk a little about today. So we started a company after leaving Uber called Unfolded, focused on the exact same thing, geospatial analytics and visualization. And Unfolded has run, we ran Unfolded for about a year and a half. It was acquired by Foursquare in 2021. And we were still working on Unfolded when we merged with Foursquare. Basically, Foursquare wants to acquire Unfolded as its geospatial platform offering. So uh, we were lucky enough to be uh, still working on the same thing as we started the company. And now today I'm a and director of engineering at Oscar, but you know, behind the scene, I'm still a engineer myself. I'm still managing the teams and building cool stuff, <laughs> including Hexile. So that's how I ended up here. You have come a long way, a really long way. If you don't mind, I'd like to just, just ask you a few questions uh, about your past there. So when was it that you developed all these uh, software engineering skills or l learned them? Was that during your architect training? Or was this on the side? Where did you do that? Um, I started doing that when I was in architecture school because there's one type of architecture courses called parametric modeling, which is really cool. You, had, you actually write uh, algorithms in your 3D modeling software to generate the different shapes that can be controlled by code. So that's when I got introduced to kind of computer science or coding. After doing a little bit of that, I just felt like, you know, I can't stop doing it. But in real world architectural practice, you, you know, you don't always do, you know, the generative design, the, the shape that nobody can build. So I started a master's degree at MIT under the architecture school. There's one specific area called design computation, and it's a two-year master program where it allow architects who want to learn more computer science and then pick their own career paths, combining their skill in architecture and the new acquired skill in computer science. So that's when I actually systematically learned coding, starting from, you know, C, which is who would do that today. But uh, that's something I started learning <laughs> and then, but ended up building, focusing more on front-end development. So JavaScript and WebGL because that's that's where I can truly express my my passion with the design and then my also my passion with uh, building building stuff with with code. Thank you very much for for explaining that to me. You, you talked about open sourcing something, open sourcing Kepler GL. This might sound like a, a really naive question. What, what does open sourcing mean for for you? Does that mean did you build this thing from the ground up and then just say to the world, here you go, let's develop this together, kind of thing, or were you part of a team that? was building it. I'm just sort of st stuck on that idea of open sourcing. Pretty much what you described, but I think there is also, you know, when we were building this thing, Kepler GL, inside Uber, we weren't just immediately put it out to the world, right? We were initially, we're building this to solve our business problems that Uber has. They need a browser-based application to visualize large amount of uh, geospatial data. So that's why we started building the necessary pieces that go into the software. And then as the software become uh, mature, we feel like, you know, it is a very generic software. It doesn't necessarily have to work with Uber data because the 
can work with any type of geospatial data. And in, it is so unique. And the engineers who work on it, including that it was the main engineer who worked on it, including a couple other visualization engineers, we just felt like, you know, for a generic software like this, it would be nice to put it out to the world, letting other people also contributing to it. And because it's all client-side software, so we can hosting it without any cost, basically. We just de uh, deploy it to GitHub and let other people play around with it. And that kind of just started growing this community where, you know, when we put Kepler GL become open source, people start using it and then they come back contributing to it to get uh, to, you know, certain features that they would really like to have. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. So the promise of the podcast was to talk about something called hex tiles, but I, I want to start with, with tiles in general, if that's okay. And again, these might sound like naive questions, but I, I want to start right at the bottom here. Why do people tile data? Why, why do we need to tile data? Why are tiled maps interesting? Yeah, uh, that's a fair question. I think we started to tile data when the amount of data we need to handle become large that you cannot just load all of them into your browser. Or, you know, we started to work with data that's planetary scale and we need to find a way to efficiently uh, store them and only load the ones that we need into into either processing software or your client-side browser so that when you, you know, looking at a map of the Earth, you don't have to load every single street that is on Earth into your browser. You only load a high-level geometry. And once you zoom into closer, closer to a country, you load the data for like different state shape. And when you zoom, keep zooming in into each state, you load the locations where its cities are or where it's, you know, uh, major highways are. And when you keep zooming in into, you know, your own city, you load the little streets, uh, the little corner shops that, that this city has. So we need a way to effectively encode large scale of geospatial data, break them down into different tiles, hierarchical tiles as well, and load them only when, you know, your viewer is looking at it or what the processing needs is. So as far as I'm aware, there's a couple of different ways of doing this, of breaking sort of large data sets down into these hierarchical tiles that you're talking about. And so we can we can stream them effectively from a source over to a client. For for example, I think when a lot of people think about tiles, they might think of, of, of raster tiles or, or vector tiles. Would you mind sort of walking us through the, the pros and cons of each one of, of those concepts? Yeah, sure. So I will start with raster tiles because that's the early mention of tiles. So raster tiles are image-based. So when we are thinking about the maps that you see, probably early stage of Google Maps, all of each the little tiles are actually each image that comes through your browser. Image tile encodes data into every single pixels. And it's very effective because all you need to do is to send image to the client side. Usually you encode data in the RGB channel of each image. And image tiles are simply good for ground truth, remote sensing data. Like when we send satellites into the space, we use the special cameras on satellites to take pictures of the Earth. And those images will capture, you know, high depth imagery data. And then when we send it back, those data sets is already encoded into a raster tile format. We just need to process it in the server so we can compress the high depth image imagery data into the 256 by 256 8-bit image data that our, our browser can render, a human eye can consume. 
So that's a very early stage of tiling using uh, raster tiles. And raster tiles are great because they are very effective. They are lightweight because all you need to do is to, you know, for each tile, you just need to stream an image into the browser. But they are less interactive. When you try to imagine, you know, Google Maps like eight years ago, when you, every time when you zoom in, you kind of, it hides a little bit and then it blurs a little bit and you see a new image comes to you and it kind of clears up. That's because there's, when we encode data in with image tile, there's always this break between resolutions and it's hard to smoothly transition from a lower resolution into a higher resolution data. You have to wait for the, for data to come in and you load them. So that's kind of the, the, you know, the cons of, of image tiles or raster tiles. Since then, um, there a new tile system was developed called vector tile system. Vector tile system encode data in vector forms. And if you started <laughs> using Photoshop, you kind of know the pros and cons between a raster image and a vector form. With vector form type of data, we actually encode the actual, you know, lat long of the geometry and we only render them on the client side. So when we load the data in, we actually load the precise shape of the rows and the, the building shapes, the image boundaries, and we render them uh, in your browser as a vector format. So with raster tile, you got a much precise geometry. It is best for navigation and administrative uses. So, you know, when you, now, nowadays, when you're looking at Google Maps, even you zoom in, zoom out, you will see the geometry being smoothly transitioned into a higher resolution or lower resolution. That's the benefit of encoding data with vector tile. So my understanding of vector tiles is because we can be really flexible with the amount of attribution that comes with, with each geometry, we can create really sort of dynamic rendering on the client side, as well as complex querying on the client side. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, that's correct. So vector tiles, usually we uh, use a GeoJSON vector tile format to encode uh, each geometry feature. So which, with GeoJSON, you not only have a way to represent the geometry, you also have a way to represent uh, abstract properties of this geometry. So GeoJSON always have this property field where you can put in any kind of metrics like name of this road, distance that this road is covered. So um, people use a GeoJSON vector tile to load a lot of properties alongside with the actual geometry of the shape. So when you want to do any kind of client-side query saying, you know, find me the road, that name is San Francisco Street, for example. You can search through all the, all the, all the features that in your browser with the property name equals San Francisco Street. Okay, so thank you very much for that. I really appreciate that. I, I realize it was probably pretty pretty basic, but I, I think it's important to sort of build the, this foundation and then sort of work up from there. So now that we know a lot about raster tiles and vector tiles, what's the problem with, with, with both these systems? Because you, you've built this new system called hex tiles. So but what was it about these two systems that, that, that's missing? Why did you go and build something new? Yeah, raster tiles and vector tiles, both of them are encoding precise geometries. So when it comes to more analytical tasks where you actually care less about the geometry, but more care more about the aggregated attributes of all the geometry you have combined, uh, raster tile and vector tile become a little cumbersome to encode such data. 
I'll give you an example. If you are a real estate agent and you have a client that tells you, I want to find a house that is within five minutes drive to the best school in town. And it's on a quieter street, so less complain about noises. It is close to my office. It is less than, you know, 30 years old and it's in the higher part of the city, so a higher elevation. For you to do this type of analysis, you actually care less about where the other roads are, where the, the mountains in my cities are. You actually care more about, you know, the each, if I divide a city into a grid, you care more about just the aggregated attributes of this grid. I care about the average distance, this grid cell of the places I was choosing from. I care about the average distance to the nearest school. I care about the average amount of uh, noise complaint the cell gets. I care about the elevation, average elevation the cells ask. So when someone has to do such analytical tasks, a lot of time they need to aggregate data from raw data points into each cell and then do you know filtering based on that or draw cost relationship based on that. So a lot of time when we only care about the aggregated uh, or statistic attributes of a location, using vector tile or raster tile become a little cumbersome because we cannot do quick analytic based on the cell data that encoded in the cell itself. We always have to first convert the geometry into a unified shape and then draw the attributes, either calculating average or calculating sum of all the geometry that lands in each grid and then draw an analysis based on that. So that's why we develop a another type of tiling system that really designed for statistical analysis, less so for representing the precise geometry of what's on your map. So, so now we understand the problem. It sounds to me like the, the, the problem is that we want to we, we want to do this statistical analysis and we, we don't want to have to unify the data. We don't want to have to do that sort of work of turning everything into, I don't know, rasters, for example. You keep talking about cells. So turning everything to rasters and, and doing raster math on, on those layers. So we need to unify these layers and they need to be quick. And we need to be able to encode a lot of different information into each cell. At, at least that, that's what I heard you say. So what's the solution to this? What have you done? What have you built? What are hex tiles? So we built a H3-based tiling system uh, called Hextile. And briefly, Hextile is an analytic-focused geospatial tiling system that builds on top of H3. It is, uh, H3 is a distributed global grid system, and it's designed for you know, ground-up handling planetary data set that's supporting geospatial unification, enrichment, and large-scale temporal analysis. If you listen to all the keywords I was saying, a lot of the keywords when it comes to Hexel is really about running analysis on a unified global grid system. I've published a podcast episode with one of your co-founders of Unfolded, Isaac Brodsky, before about the H3 system. So I'm definitely going to put a, put a link to that in the show notes. I don't think we should dive into H3 as such here, but I think it's important to know that these hex tiles that you're talking about are based on that system. One piece of really important information here is the shape of the hex tiles. Could you tell us about that, please? Yeah, the shape of the hex tile are, as they sound, hexagons, <laughs> because H3 is hexagonal uh, hierarchical spatial index system. So the base unit of a hex tile is a hexagon cell. 
and each of the hexagon cell will have its own address encoded in H3. And, and if I, it's a long time ago, I, I recorded that interview with, with Isaac, but if I remember correctly, uh, the thing about hexagons is that every neighbor has the same distance, is the same distance apart from the, the center of the original hexagon. And there was something about squares where, in the case of squares, if we're talking about square tiles, for example, squares have four neighbors that share a, an edge and four neighbors that share a point. And this makes it difficult to do though, these kinds of analysis that you were talking about before. Am I, have, have I remembered that correctly? Yeah, you're, you're correctly. So hexagons compared to grid is that the grid traversal is a lot more consistent because hexagon has six equal neighbors. So your distance from one hexagon to its six neighbors are exactly the same. Versus in a grid system, you have four neighbors on its edges. So the distance from you to your those four edge neighbors are different from you to the other four neighbors, which are on the point. So that makes traversing a little complicated because when you do things like calculating distance or smoothing, you actually have to take account of where you have four different neighbors and treat them differently. You did a much better job of explaining that than I did. <laughs> Thanks very much. You, you talked about smoothing there. I think it's probably important to, to remember here that we're not talking about encoding the exact geometry. So there's a certain amount of smoothing that, that's going to happen as soon as we put our geometries into the system. Is, is that correct? Actually, smoothing is, in analytic use case, we're actually about smoothing the data. So, for example, when we try to calculate a uniform grid for, let's say, temperature, the most of the time, we don't actually measure temperature of every single square kilometers. We take you know, data from these different weather sensing stations that reads in the temperature of that specific location. And then we put those, almost like feel like drawing a heat map, right? We take inputs from individual discrete points and we need to calculate what is a random location that locate between your two or three points. What is the statistical temperature there based on the readings from the actual weather station that we collect data from? So that's what we call smoothing. We will need to be able to smoothly compute or like imagine that being drawing the heat map smoothly. And then for every single point on the heat map, we need to be able to read in the actual statistical value of that point. Okay, thanks for clarifying that for me. If I had a, a base set of data and I turned that into vector tiles and took the same base set of data and turned that into hex tiles, am I going to see dramatic performance differences between the two? So performance can be in different uh, measurements, right? So either loading the tile, there's a performance loading them, and there is also you know, running computation on the data that your tile contains. I would say in terms of loading, there's not necessarily a performance gain because you are still, you know, it depends, <laughs> really depends on how much data you're packed into uh, your either vector tile or hex tile. Loading them really depends on the size of the data you're loading from or how you're encoding them. But when it comes to computing analysis based on uh, within the tile data, hex tile is definitely a lot more efficient because when we encode data into hex tile, we already did pre-computation, right? We, we take data and then break them down into the finest hex grid that a user will care about. Either it's hex 11 or hex 14, depends on how fine grid you want your analysis to be run on. Once we break the, your raw data down into this fine grid cells, 
joining any analysis across different cell resolution. Let's say I want to do a average count or total number of rows within my hexavalent 13. All we need to do is to take the total number of rows from my X level 14 and then do a sum. So such, I mean, calculating sum is obviously the most simple analysis or aggregation you can do, but when it comes to more complicated analysis that require certain aggregation within the children of your cells, uh, using hex health will be a lot more efficient or performative than doing such analytics in vector time. I just want to make sure that, that, that I've understood this. You talked about that really fine re- resolution. I think you, you mentioned hex 14. So I'm assuming this is the, the finest cell size that we can create. So finest cell size is actually 15. 15 okay. is about half meter in uh, radius, but we, we rarely have to do analysis based that much of fine green. So and I found it, I think the finest resolution hex that we build is hex 14. And that's about one meter in the edge length. I guess my question here is when we create this grid, are we only creating it at the finest resolution and then doing all of the compute in the client? So aggregating things up in the client, as we call it, depending on the spatial resolution, or are you calculating and building like lots of different cached layers of the grid? Yeah, we are building a lot of cached layers for fast performance. So for example, when you give us a data set saying, I have all this location of, of homes in the United States as for sale. And I have the you know latitude, longitude of the homes. And for each homes, I have uh, certain attributes like total square footage, number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, and some categorical value, like whether this home is three-story or two-story or single-family home or it's multifamily. So when we calculating, converting that data set into tiles, we started from, you know, whatever the finest resolution you want us to calculate. Usually people do like, let's say it's 13. We start from calculating a tile system based on resolution 13, aggregating total number of square footage, total number of bedrooms into a total number of square footage of all the homes that are in the cell. And we can also calculate the average based on whether, you know, when you build this tower, you want certain attributes being calculated. Then we started from calculating number 13 to number 12 by joining, you know, aggregating whatever we already calculated in 13. And we store the number 12 cells in our backend. And then we also go up to calculate number 11 and store that tiles in our backend. So when you are loading that tile into your browser or analytical application, uh, you only have to define or based on what currently zoom level you're looking at, we're only loading the cells based on your current zoom level and based on your current viewport. So if you're zooming at a lot more uh, high up, so you're looking at the entire US, we only need to load a resolution, probably resolution five or six of current US viewport. And when you keep zooming into, you know, a state or a city, we're loading a much finer grain tile, probably as a resolution nine or ten of a current state you're looking at. But all the tile will already have the attributes being aggregated. We'll, to- we'll have the total square footage of all the home in the cell, and or average uh, number of bedrooms in the total homes uh, in all the homes within the cell. So it gives you a much 
clear view of the analytical aspect of your data from uh, the highest level of the entire U.S., quickly zoom into the lowest level of each county or even each zip code, we be able to show that statistics quickly without having to do any extra calculation. That sounds really, really smart. I was just wondering, so we talked about open source stuff before. Is this open source? Is this a closed format? Can anyone make hextiles? I guess is what I'm asking. And the pipeline of building this hextile is a closed source. So uh, it's proprietary pipeline. Right now, we, you can only use Foursquare and Foursquare's pipeline to build hextile. But never say never. Same as we build H3 or build, build Kepler. It was originally closed source within Uber. But when the market has, you know, C value in this, when we have made it a lot mature, we might consider open source as well. And I guess the, the next natural follow-on question for that is what clients can consume these tiles? Yeah. So it is built for analytics, usually for people who want to do data science on large-scale geospatial data. When they care less about the actual shape of each individual geospatial feature, but they care a lot more about the any kind of analytical statistical feature of the aggregated features, then they should use Hexile. When they want to do a quick visualization, extremely fast uh, zooming in and out of type of exploration, they should use Hexile. And the Hexile, again, is also built for temporal data. And nowadays, almost all the all the geospatial or location data we see today has a timestamp associated with it. So when we want when we want to do you know analytics that based on change or what has changed within the past day, we always have to add another dimension to our data. And Hexile is built so that we can actually encode tabular type of data format. So not only for example, average temperature of uh, entire months. We actually can do average temperature day to day, uh, hour by hour, and minute by minute, and all encode it into our hex style. And in the client side, we actually can play back these uh, data by minutes, by hour, or by day. So temporal dimension of the data is something that if you care, really care about that, hex style is built for, built for such analysis. Okay, so so now we have a good understanding of, of who this is for, and, and I appreciate that that walkthrough there. That, that makes perfect sense to me. What clients can consume this? So is this can this format only be consumed in the unfolded client as it is today? Can it be consumed in I don't know other other sort of JavaScript clients? Can I put it into uh, QGIS or ArcGIS? Where, where can I use these tiles? Right now, it can only be consumed by Anthony Studio, which is the client-side application that we built on top of Kepler GL. We have to build a special analytical visual layer called Hexile layer to consume such data. But also, it's if your purpose is to visualizing it. But Hexile is actually a something we can consume using our uh, data API. So once your tile is built, if you don't need a visual client, when you say that I only need to load or request certain tile data, you can also use our data API to get the raw data of the hex tile into your, you know, Jupyter notebook or any kind of data science workbench that you are using without having to visualize it. Okay, so we talked about this. This you 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 have the pipeline to to create these these hex tiles. Let's say I'm sitting out there with some sort of global scale data set and I, I know this is the right answer for me. What, what do I do? Do I just have to give you a link to some 
know, Amazon S3, the bucket, and you take over from there and create these hex tiles for me? And I guess a follow-on question for that is how do I update hex tiles? Let's say I have dynamic data. How do these tiles get updated? How do I rebuild the cache, as it were? Yep. Uh, so to answer the first question, how do you create a hex tile? Today, we expose two ways of creating hex tile. One with a UI. So if you upload your raw data into Unfolded, cloud, you can use our Hexel creation, the user interface where you say, my data is, this is my raw data sets. I have, you know, these columns in it, a latitude and longitude, and I have these attributes column in it, you know, square footage, number of bedroom. And then you tell us, uh, how do I want to aggregate each of these attribution columns? And then you can kick off a pipeline, wait for, you know, a couple minutes to an hour. And you will see a Hexel being built for you in your unfolded data portal. That's one way with a user interface. There's another way is to use our uh, unfolded data SDK. Uh, it's a Python SDK that you can install in your data science, you know, Jupyter Notebook uh, or data science workbench. And you can use that. It's basically a REST API where you can post data to our cloud using the data SDK. And then associate certain same way of associate where my latitude and longitude is, or how to attribute uh, agree my attribute column, and then that will um, kick off a Hexile pipeline, and then the final result will also be Excel dataset that you can see in your uh, unfolded data portal. That makes sense. Let's say again, I have this dynamic data set and I want to update my my tiles as as the data set itself updates. And let's assume that I don't want to separate it by time. I just want to say, I just want one data set and I want it to update in real time or as near to real time as possible. Can that be done? So when you say update, you mean, can you clarify what update means? Do you mean rebuild the tile where you threw away the last uh, data set, the data was past dates where you would want to top it off? Yeah, I mean, uh, update is in, let's say I have a cell and that, the value that I have stored in that cell that is cached in my tile set is no longer valid because I've, I've got new data. Right. So you will just run the same hex cell pipeline again. And then, you know, the destination of where your hex cell is, you just give it the same name of your pre past existing built tile. Then we will run the, then we will run the pipeline again and then basically override the, uh, the tile that you already built. Okay. So does that mean that I have to overwrite my entire data set or is there a way that I can just update that? that cell that's changed or the cells that have changed? Because your raw, from your raw data, you don't actually know which cell it is in. So you will have to overwrite the entire data set. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that's really good to know. I appreciate that. So, so it sounds pretty amazing. I'm really looking forward to seeing what, how, how this develops in, in some of the use cases that, that come out of this. What is this going to look like in the future? I don't think we've talked about you know 3D tiles, for example. Is that an option today or is this something that you'll add on in the future? Yeah, we were thinking about it. Uh, although H3 by design is a 2D type of projection, and there's no, you, you cannot add uh, altitude to H3 to have a, a different resolution-wise. But however, because it's designed for analytics, you can always you know encode data in its attitude as another attribute in your H3 cell. So we can already join 3D hexagons or visualizing it by just accessing the attributes property of this of the cell. So that's something already possible, um, just uh, probably not 
we don't have a way to actually hierarchically build cells that are based on its uh, altitude or 3D dimension. So when it comes to more, what, what about the future? Really, uh, if you think about the geospatial industry in the past, where people are mostly looking at data from administrative boundaries, looking at data from street addresses or zip code. In the future, I really imagine a future where, you know, you are no longer live on, you know, 10 Carolina Street, San Francisco, 94107. You live on hash code, you know, 9817 <laughs> something like that, right? We, I would really imagine a world where we, you know, break down the administrative boundary by using a unified grid system to, for any kind of geospatial analysis. I think, you know, there's more and more type of geospatial data that's being generated. People need a final way to unify all of them so you can really unleash the power of geospatial, which is being able to looking at data across different data sources, across boundaries, and seeing them all in front of your eye, quickly zoom in from higher resolution to lower resolution. There shouldn't be anything stopping us from doing it because we have a unified global grid system. So that's the future I imagine, and I was hoping to see it happen with uh, our invention of Hextile. Yeah, um, what do you think is is standing in the way? So so now you, you've, you've built the, the, this Hextile and th- this is part of you know, moving towards that future that you imagine. What is stopping everyone uh, adopting this, or what? What do, what do you think the sort of the, the barriers are going to be to making this sort of widely adopted throughout the the geospatial analytic community? So, data scientists they build analytics and presenting to people, you know, like my planners, my planner in San Francisco uh, County, or you know, my mayor who all he cares about is where my lower income populations are. So when, when analysts, when they're presenting such analytical maps, the, the people who looking at it are still used to looking at, you know, a chloroplast with zip code or a chloroplast of different census block. So uh, it, this is pretty, people have used to looking at maps with large color blocks that are in different shape because that's the administrative boundary. So when you show them a map with just hexagons, a little cells, they started to feel uncomfortable. They can't find the zip code that they care about. So I think it's really to, you know, slowly get people used to not looking at the actual shape because really when it comes down to solving real world problem, which zip code it's in is not as important as, you know, a more fine grain or, you know, unified way of looking at your city. So I think that's so far has been a, a barrier to adopting hexagon uh, wildly. So I would like to suggest another barrier. And I, I realize we're going to be talking about two, two sort of slightly separate things, but here, but bear with me for a second, because there'll be people out there and say, Look, I just cannot live with the loss of precision in my data that this would cause by turning it into hex tiles, for example. So when is hex tiles not the answer? Yeah, that's, that's actually a fair point. So you know, when you really care about the ground truth, right, the exact meter that my house corner is on, sure, you shouldn't use Hexile. You should just use any kind of existing uh, projection system to draw the actual shape of your building, right? So if you are a construction crew, 
you need to uh, you know know exactly where to build uh, the first the f- exact foundation of this skyscraper. Yeah, you you should just use the actual map that shows you down to you know centimeter position or millimeter position of the location that you care. So I think ground truth data. There's definitely still value looking at ground truth data. So that's when I was talking about Hexa. I keep uh, emphasizing is for analytics. Yeah, thank you very much for this. And, and thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot, I have to say. <laughs> and um, it's always interesting talking to people like you that have done so much, that they've come so far. And yeah, interesting and maybe just a little bit intimidating as well, because oh, a lot of the stuff is new to me. So I appreciate your patience. You've done a great job of sort of, we started right at the start, like what is a tile? And now we've, we've, we've come down to the future of of hex tiles and when we should use these unifying grids and, and when we shouldn't. So come a long way and I really appreciate your time. There'll be people listening to this that think I, I need to know some more. Where can those people go if they want to try this out themselves, if they want to see it in action or, or maybe learn more about it? The product we launched is called Unfolded. So if you just type in Unfolded AI, you'll see a lot of resources being posted there. We also, you know, the platform we built to convert your data into Hextile, visualizing it is called Unfolded Studio. So studio.unfolded.ai will give you Right now, where a lot of these functions I just talked about is for free, so you can join communities, start playing around with the with the Hexile data, and you will see a lot of demo demo maps there that made with Hexile. Uh, we host our own data catalog on um, Unfolded uh, Studio, where we convert you know U.S. Census demographic data into Hexile. We convert agriculture data into Hexile. So you want to look at what. Hexel data is just go to you know our data catalog and load the data and play around with it. Thanks very much. I, I think I'll find some of those links for for the listeners and and put them in the show notes of this episode just to make it a little bit easier for them to track down. Thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Shan talking about hex tiles. As promised in the introduction of this episode, there will be a link to the episode to the podcast episode with Isaac Brodsky all about the H3 grid system. And, and now, now that I think about it, we've also published an episode with Paul Ramsey talking about how you can create vector tiles directly from a PostGIS database. I, I'll include a link to that as well. If you're into tiles, you might find that interesting. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Really appreciate it. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. I think perhaps the best place to get a hold of me is probably just through our web- website, mapscaping.com. You'll find a bunch of ways of connecting there. Okay, we'll see you again next week. Bye.